0: Carlson,
1: Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, hoj här kommer Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, ingen faktiskt ingen annan Carlson skulle alls bra som mig. Carlson, Carlson, Carlson scores. Carlson, yeah. Carlson. Yeah. Carlson, Yeah! 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 Yes, Yeah! Yeah! yeah each episode of Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast, the longest-running fantasy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by two guys whose own modeling career has failed. But now we get to talk to someone who's is very successful. I'm your host, Elon Dabrowski, and with me, as always, to start the show, and then we're going to bring in a third, but first of all, we've got the fantasy hockey robot, the Poop Prognostication, the IPP, MVP, Brian
0: Com. Hello, Elon. Hello, everyone. And yes, welcome to what is an annual Keeping Carlson tradition, which we like to trot those out this time of year. If you didn't catch more goalies board last week, get in on it. Uh, Why not start now? If it's your first more goalies board, we tiered every single goalie. And this time around, we are talking with our favorite modeler and his model, uh, Dom. I don't know if the model has a name officially, but we're really excited to talk to Dom Lucision from The Athletic and go over his list of projections and whether they agree or disagree with what we've seen ourselves so far. Both you and I just with our eyes going through players and also our patrons in their mock ADPs.
1: Yeah, the chat with Dom was really fun, a little behind the scenes here. I actually already recorded my interview with Dom Lucision earlier today on Sunday because Dom doesn't do podcasts during football time. So now it's Sunday night, and during football time, Brian and I have the audacity to still do a little bonus recording. Uh, So yeah, we're going to get to that interview with Dom Lucision in just a sec. First, uh, let's mention that Keeping Carlson is presented by DauberHockey.com, and proudly so, the home of Dauber's famous projection guide. And you can go download that right now to get his projections to match up with Dom's. Dom literally said in the interview... you'll hear that he likes to take multiple projections and compare them against each other so now's your chance to get the great dauber ones at dauberhockey.com but okay brian before we get to the interview with dom when i talked to dom one of the big parts of our chat was i went through a bunch of players like you said where his projections maybe disagreed with the patrons Uh, there's some other players you pointed out that maybe you wanted to touch on as well that maybe you thought uh caught your eye that i didn't get to talk to with dom so who are some players that you also would like to maybe question whether dom's projection is correct
0: yeah, so of course, you will be chatting with Dom very shortly, and he's going to be able to explain exactly how his model works and give more context on the disagreements between uh, the mock draft ADPs that our patrons have been running versus what his model says. So I'm really excited to hear that. But yeah, a few guys caught my eye right off the top, and one of them that the patrons are higher on than Dom is Ryan Strome, who Dom has projected for 58 points. And I think we'll just go by point totals here, Elon, for simplicity's sake. Uh, But... Ryan Strom at 58 points is kind of surprising, right? He's had sustainable-looking 70-point paces for the last two seasons, ever since Strom became a full-time Ranger and centerman to Artemi Panarin. So, you know, 12-point drop, like dropping from a 70-point player to a high 50s-point player, that's really noticeable to me, and apparently the patrons, too, who aren't expecting that to happen. And I'm I'm not sure why they would. I I guess if you're looking at the Rangers' depth chart – and we've talked about this on our patrons only Discord server that there are just so many ways things could shake out in the top six or top nine in New York. This year, there's so many moving pieces and I wonder, I don't think the model really accounts for uh, like that sort of change though. So I, I'm really interested because I i think that Strom starts the season centering Artemi Panarin. I imagine he also finishes the season centering Artemi Panarin. I have no reason to think otherwise. I thought maybe you know, with Lafreniere being another year older and Kako also maybe taking a step forward this season, that maybe uh, the concern was that Ryan Strome could lose some power play time with all that internal competition, but Dom's projections have him with a similar power play point pace to past year. So, Elon, here's my theory, and you having spoken to Dom, you can tell me if I'm right, but uh, Ryan Strome was a 35-point player three years ago, he was also a 35 point player four, five, and six years ago. So I'm wondering if maybe the model is giving that too much weight and that's dragging Ryan Strom down from a 70 point player to a 58 point player because I'm really sold on Ryan Strom being a 70 point player. Yeah, so actually, this is
1: kind of fun the way we're doing this because this is like the prequel to the show that I already did. But uh, so Dom talked about how a big part of his projections, the one subjective part, is that he puts in a time on ice uh, projection, and that comes from talking to different beat writers around the league. And then you know his model, which takes the previous stats, that's in terms of a per minute model, and then like they multiply that by you know the total number of minutes they expect him to get per game, and that is what's going to give you like the final point projection. And I'm seeing here that he has Ryan Strome slotted in for. 17.5 17 and a half minutes per game in his projection sheet, uh, that's a lot lower than the 18-plus minutes he was seeing last season and 19.5 and minutes for the season before. So I wonder if, from his conversations, the idea might be that, you know, Ryan Strome is going to be a UFA at the end of the season. Maybe it's time to try out some new players. Philip Hedl might come up, maybe get a shot to play uh, in the top six at some point as a center. Maybe he loses some power play time. So that would be my guess. Is Well, I mean, that's, I think, is the answer that he would say is that he has the ice time down. And yeah, with, with Strome, I don't know, for some reason, i always like i'm a little wary of him i know he's had two great seasons in a row and he's playing with panarin which is so amazing but i'm always still a little bit worried that maybe that deployment will change and so yeah i think that's what explains it it'll be up to the people drafting to decide if they agree that his minutes will go down or if they'll be able to hold city. like it is a little concerning right he was like i said 19 and a half minutes two seasons ago just above 18 minutes last season in average toi per game maybe that trend continues
0: Sure. So yeah, if it keeps dropping, like, that's it. I see it already dropped almost 90 seconds. And Reinstrom still was on a 70 plus point pace. His pace was actually better than the season before it. And his power play role had actually grown. So... Uh, yeah, I guess I'm like, I can see, like I said, there's a lot of moving parts in that depth chart. And I suppose that's what we're looking at here. And maybe that just means that we should be drafting Ryan Strom with an idea that his floor is a little lower this year. Than it has been in the last couple, because really there was no one else to put with Artemi Panarin. That's why Strom got the job in the first place. Another player I'm seeing that has a lower floor than he's had in the last little uh, last few years on Dom's in Dom's model this season is Tom Wilson, who is also uh, being rated lower than our patrons are rating him according to their mock draft ADPs. Dom's model has him at 49 points, uh, which is. You know, it's a you see the difference. It's distinct from last year, which was a big year for Tom Wilson when he set a career high point pace. He had 33 points in 47 games, which comes out to that career high 58 point pace for Tom Wilson that was powered by a career high eight power play points. And yeah that's like straight up a career high 8 power play points for Tom Wilson in 47 games only. So good for him for doing uh, for for hitting a mark he'd never hit before while playing barely half a season. Now Tom Wilson had generally been a low 50s type the couple years before this. So Even though uh, getting dinged after a career year seems counterintuitive, you look at a couple factors and you say, "Okay, well, maybe that makes sense. Even though Tom Wilson had such a great season last year, uh, maybe we can barely expect what he had done the couple years before that. One of those reasons, well, especially not to expect near 60 points from Tom Wilson again, is that his power play production is unsustainable, I think, considering he still doesn't have a regular spot on the top unit. I also wonder how much it impacts Tom Wilson that his most common line mates the last few years, Baxterman and Ovechkin, are continuing to get older, uh, along with Wilson himself, who's likely on his way out of his prime, heading into his age 27 years. So I think Uh, This is actually one where I am more with Dom's model more than the patrons. I could see Tom Wilson falling in the 50-point range, give or take a couple points, rather than where the patrons seem to think he'll finish, which is closer, or maybe between that and his number from last year.
1: Yeah, I mean, you always have not believed in Tom Wilson, and so I'm not surprised that you're going to agree with Dom's model here uh which makes sense also like we don't like him as a person so much because he injured artemi panarin last year and we're still kind of questioning if artemi panarin is gonna be 100 he better freaking be but uh yeah tom wilson the thing is like in that interview that ben did with samantha pell she was saying oh, he's like she thinks he's a good player like it seems and like, you know he's gotten this role and i wonder if as guys like ovechkin and backstrom and, like maybe also like a tj oshi as these players get older i wonder if that potentially opens up a spot for wilson to get in on the top power play so like while there is like a floor there there's also maybe a ceiling we haven't seen because yeah if he can't get on the top power play like it's maybe like a net front guy who knows like we also know Kuznetsov might be on the trade block uh so who or like he also sometimes in the doghouse and I know it was um oftentimes Jacob Verana who would take over for Kuznetsov on that top power play so now Anthony Mantha's there but maybe Wilson get so I don't know there's a lot of like question marks about how the deployment will go I think the best bet is to assume second power play and still like that top deployment with Ovechkin at even strength uh and so yeah I don't know I think that I would be Okay, to go a little bit higher. Like, yeah, I guess around like 53, like basically the paces he had the couple seasons before, not the 58 point pace from last year. So I'd be a little bit higher than the model and yourself, I think. But I think we're all like pretty close. And obviously, in your bangers leagues, he's still like so great for hits. Though, on the downside, if you're playing on Yahoo, a system that doesn't let you put suspended players in your IR, that definitely hurts because you could lose like eight games in a season. Unlike with fan tracks where you have the ability to uh, have a setting in your league where suspended players can at least take up an IR spot. and You're not just like wasting a roster spot.
0: Wow, Elon's really interesting. You you bring up Fantrax because they're one of our newest partners. We we love Fantrax. This is this is sponsored content now, right? We've just
1: switched over to SpawnCon, but we'll,
0: we'll, I mean, it's something that I think the listeners will be interested in. So it's sort
1: of like half sponsored content and half just uh, the truth, which is Fantrax is this amazing site to play your fantasy leagues. And if you've never tried it out before. I'd recommend checking out Fantrax because they have so much functionality that you don't get on like Yahoo and ESPN. Brian, I know you wrote like a whole list of things, but like I guess we could throw out a few of them at least.
0: Yeah, well, we know that Fantrax is super custom. It's the most customizable fantasy platform in the industry. So whether you're working a dynasty, especially, or a keeper, even a redraft, they have some best ball leagues too. Fantrax is the top dynasty fantasy hockey platform in the industry, it does a great job with all. Kinds of leagues, especially if you're looking for something beyond. Like, if there's anything that you're currently missing that you wish you had in your current fantasy league, and man, for the cupful, there's stuff we wish we had. Fantrax, we know has it. It's like what Elon. We we used to use Fantrax for the cupful, and there's some stuff we we dearly miss over there that we still use Fantrax for for other leagues we're in
1: yeah i mean a couple features off the top of the head like first of all they have some cool categories that you don't see in other places like you know giveaways and takeaways uh i also really like that you could have if you're in a category league, you could have something called like goalie points 3. as opposed to having wins as a category you could do this like, sort of wins calculation which is including like shutouts and overtime losses and sort of adding that up to the number of points that you get for your goalie points three category I, I like that one uh i also really like this feature where you can make it that you can't add an injure, injured guy out of free agency to your your team because I feel like the pro I like to have a league with like a lot of IR spots you know this right I've said this before I feel like it's fair that if you have an injured player you're already punished enough by having your player injured it sucks if you don't even have an IR spot now you have to decide whether to drop your good player uh, but the problem with having lots of IR spots is people take advantage because you could just add injured players out of free agency stash them in your IR and then anytime you have the opportunity when the player is healthy now you almost get like a free ad that week so anyways Fantrax has that cool feature where you could just make it nah you're not allowed to add injured players out of free agency, and I think that should be the rule all over the place. So it's nice to have that. And yeah, there's just so much customizability, which is why Fantrax is a, is a really cool system. And I'm really glad that they're our partner. And Brian, I think that the people who want to sign up for Fantrax after hearing us talk about them, we have a special offer for them, right?
0: Yeah, there's definitely a carrot involved here. You can sign up for free with Fantrax today and enter to win an official... NHL signed Nathan McKinnon jersey. Yes, the number two pick of fantasy drafts everywhere this season or number three. If you go dry sidle instead of McKinnon at number two, but Nathan McKinnon official NHL signed jersey can be yours. If you sign up for free today and move your league over to Fantrax, just go to Fantrax.com slash keeping and sign up today. Yeah,
1: I mean Brian, I think there's also an argument that could be made that you take Matthews second, maybe he's the front runner to win the um Rocket Richard trophy this year. So I think that top four that's it. So we just generated the cacophony, the Keeping Cross, also Patriot Fantasy League, we just generated our draft orders today. So everyone in our Discord is like either really happy or really sad right now. And I think fourth pick in a snake draft might be the best. Like, I mean it's hard to argue with number one, because you get McDavid, but if you can't get number one, I feel like number four might be the best because any of those four guys, McKinnon, Matthews, Drysidle, McDavid, you're kinda happy with any of them. Them, and then you get you know an earlier pick in the next round so uh yeah but definitely one of them is mckinnon and you know you get that mckinnon jersey maybe that'll also get you to like eat healthier have a healthier lifestyle you know you'll try to just you know be the mckinnon as you wear his jersey and so i definitely would be happy to win that jersey
0: here's a joke Elon. who's nathan mckinnon's favorite teammate
1: okay i don't know ranting it
0: kale mccarr Ah, uh, uh, okay uh, all right, right.
1: We just uh, started a Keeper League draft. It's a keep eight. And I had seventh pick in the draft. And I was thinking like those four would be the top four. And then I was thinking it would be like uh, Kucherov and Pasternak at five and six. And so I was thinking I would be taking Ranson at seven. But then big swerve, my buddy Maddie took Kale McCarr at six. I didn't think a defenseman would go that high. So then I ended up getting Pasternak at seven. So uh we'll find out soon. Anyways, this is all fun. But I think with this, Brian, let's uh cut over to my interview with Dom Lucision so we can learn all about his model and hear all of the questions I had about some of the projections that we disagreed with. It was a really good interview. Hope you like it. All right, everyone. Really excited for this week's show. It's a yearly tradition. We've got the great Dom Lucision from The Athletic, the creator of one of the most popular and best projection spreadsheets out there. Not even a spreadsheet, a whole tool. We're going to get into it all. Welcome back to the show, Dom.
2: Thank you for having me. It is always a pleasure. Um, still eating some uh, hangover pizza pockets, but I'm always excited to be here.
1: Yeah, this will be a good test to see, like, Dom hung over. (laughs) Is he still able to bring the goods? So we'll find out at the end. (laughs) I'll listen back to last year's episode, see if there's anything different. But yeah, so here's the agenda for today. We've got to talk about... This spreadsheet, how it works, of course. Also, I've, a lot of people are interested in like how you come up with your projections. So beyond just the the tool itself, like how you come up with how you come up with how many points and blocks and whatever each player is going to get. So I have mm-hmm. some questions from the patrons of Keeping Carlson that will ask you about that. And then I've got some specific players that I wanted to run by you where your projections differ from uh, what we we're thinking. Maybe they should be. So we'll be able to get mm-hmm. your sense of if you agree or disagree with your model. But like, yeah, I guess just to get started, why don't you just tell people about this spreadsheet in terms of like how can they use it to be successful in their fantasy drafts
2: yeah so i think this is the fourth or fifth year that i've released it and the basic idea is that if you just follow someone's rankings it's not going to be the same as football where everyone has the same format or maybe they do ppr but like there are rankings for those for hockey every league is different in some way there's a weird quirk and you might have a different category than the standard format because maybe you're a smart person and you don't want to use plus minus that's how it should be right. um, and the idea i had was to create a spreadsheet that ranked players based on your own league settings so if you're in a league that is just points then you can sort by points or whatever if you're in a league that heavily values shots it'll put players with high shot volume up higher in the rankings and it's all done through a way called Forb Value of Replacement, which I stole from football. And the idea there is you're comparing a player based on the replacement level player. So in fantasy hockey, that might be the a bench player. It might be a waivers player. Um, the way I've normally done it is a player you can get uh, outside the first 10 or so rounds. And that's worked well for me, uh, although we have got some new ideas in that realm uh, this year.
1: Yeah, definitely the Vorp is critical, right? Because otherwise you'd be having, you know, Kale McCarr like way down the list because, mm-hmm. you know, he getting 70 points wouldn't rank him like the top, top 10, top 20 of league scoring. So obviously you need to like figure out is a 70 point defenseman worth more than like a 90 point forward or whatever. And so you're comparing, when you're talking about Vorp, you're talking about like for each position, you decide mm-hmm. how they're better than the replacement level player at their position.
2: Exactly. It's all about position scarcity and how big your lineups are because everyone knows there are a lot of centers out there, but not too many wingers, and definitely not a lot of defensemen, especially in recent years. We've seen a lot of teams start shifting to four forwards, one defenseman, top power plays, and using those power plays 60-70% of the time rather than an even split, and that's really put a chasm between the top defensemen and some of the lesser ones that don't get that top power play time
1: yeah for sure and at the end of the day like once you're playing in your league if you want to pick up a replacement player from free agency what matters is how much better your player is than the replacement level player so yeah like definitely that's what makes defensemen so valuable maybe goalies depending on the format mm-hmm. i know like a big change you made this year in to your vorp calculation is now you've given people the option to choose like between this like either mm-hmm. vorp using draft position or a blend of the two so we've had a bunch Question if you wanted me to ask you, just if you could explain uh uh-huh. what's the difference? Like, what do you recommend? Like, how should people set up your sheet to maximize these rankings?
2: It it really isn't the eye of the beholder, but last year in the comments, um, because it was the first year on the athletics, so I was able to see how people were using it and what they thought. And one of the things I remember is people saying, shouldn't replacement players be based on position? So shouldn't it be if you have Four defensemen you need for your starting lineup, and there's 12 teams in your league, shouldn't replacement be the 48th defenseman? And it wasn't, it was the 18th, and that's just because defensemen never go very high. Um, that's just how people draft, because defensemen obviously score less, and I guess it's not a high priority for them, but if you do it by position, the difference between the first defenseman and the 48th defenseman is much larger than the first center and the 24th center, for example. So some people want to draft that way, where they know the exact value between a defenseman and what they can get for a bench player. Um That is the new part, the position-based. What has always been there is the draft-based, which is I look at the top 100 uh, for Yahoo's ADP and see how many players are drafted per position, and I compare that way. So it's still 1st center to 24th center, but now... There's 19 wingers instead of 24 wingers. Um, There's 18 defensemen instead of 48. And that sort of feeds off into the way people draft. Because the biggest thing uh, about this tool is not going by my projections strictly. It is sort of using some game theory to target players where they should. So that's why ADP is always a part of the package and always part of the list. Because if I have a player ranked 40th and he's available at 120 do Not draft him at 40th, maybe start targeting him around 90 100. But you can those are players you can wait on and might provide excess value, and then you can get a 41st ranked player and your 40th ranked player later. Um, so that's why I prefer using draft. But I know some people they want to see what the actual value of a replacement is, and that's where position comes in. And um, I think when I drafted this year, I used blend um, to sort of get the best of both worlds but yeah it's really up to you and how you view value because anyone using this has played fantasy hockey probably for a while and has their own fantasy hockey acumen that they can bring to the table and i just wanted to give them some options
1: yeah for sure and i think like you said it really depends on the vibe of your draft like it's it would be such a shame even if you know that this like next defenseman is the best defenseman available but you know this person's not going to be taken for like three rounds why waste your pick now you could pick take someone else and still Mm -hmm. get that defenseman in a round or two to be honest like sometimes i don't even really use VORP for a Mm -hmm. snake draft what i like to do is just sort of split each uh positions separately which you also have in your spreadsheet the ability to just look Mm -hmm. at the different positions and then i kind of go by the vibe of like if not a lot of d have been taken maybe i don't need to rush to get a d or like i split Mm -hmm. people into tiers and as long as i know i'm going to get one of my top d why do i need to rush to get one i could just get one later so yeah it definitely is oh sorry go ahead
2: (laughs) i i was just agreeing with you i was getting some ad libs in there like i was a fantasy hockey travis scott like
1: yeah yeah (laughs) No, very appreciated <laughs> to, a, to have a good... Yeah, Brian does that too on the show. It's very important to get that mm-hmm, yeah? Mm-hmm. A, a laugh yeah. is the best, right? If I say something funny and then I get the, your laugh there, I'll, I'll not mute that part <laughs> out of the track for sure uh but okay so uh so now that we've got the idea of how your spreadsheet works let's talk about how you actually come up with the projections because that's actually the most interesting thing to me i've got your spreadsheet for years now i just want to plug in and see what does dom think the players are actually going to do next year and it's i'm always so fascinated by like how do you come up with this like what are the inputs so maybe at a a very high level to start like you're you're coming up with a projection of say zach hyman for 66 points we'll get into him more specifically but in general Mm -hmm. like how do you come up you've got data from previous years obviously and somehow you're converting that into a projection how does that work?
2: Uh so Zach Hyman's actually a, a very good case, and I guess we'll get into it later, but I'll touch it now because he was a big target of mine, and I didn't have a lot of picks this year because I went all in last year to finish second, which still pains me to this day. <laughs> and uh I thought Hyman would last because he's Zach Hyman. And he went like 10 picks before uh my second pick and I was just fuming. So basically I look at the last three years of a player's production and I weight the most recent year twice as much as the year before. So essentially it's like four to one waiting. Um, that's the basic premise. Although different stats will have different weights based on my own research on how much they should be weighted. So goals and assists would be different from how shots are weighted previously. I think shots are very, what they did last year is a lot more important. Um, so I look at that, and then I regress based on sample size. So if it's a rookie, he's regressed heavily to the mean. And if it's an established player, he won't be as much. Um, but that regression is different based on role. So if it's a high-end player like McDavid, who plays 20 minutes a night, he's going to be regressed to other players playing 20 minutes a night. Because if you do it to the population mean, the top players will shrink a bit too much to the middle, and the bottom players will get way more credit than they deserve. So the bottom players get regressed to other fourth-line talents. And the last thing I do, and this is the only thing I do that's sort of more subject subjective, uh, I almost said subjective. Brain, <laughs> not working today. Okay, mm-hmm. a little more subjective, but um, for time on ice, I start looking at every team's depth chart, and I talk to every beat writer at the Athletic and say, hey, what do you think is happening here? Um, what's power play 1 going to look like? And... I look at their time last year and if they were the sixth most used forward at even strength and this year they're maybe slated to play on the top line, I will give them a time on ice boost that it's equivalent of going from sixth to third, basically. And for power play, um, I'll look at their percentage of power play ice time and if they had 45% last year and this year they're going to power play one, I might bump them up to 55 or 60. And... That is what happened with Zach Hyman, because he did not play on the top power play in Toronto. I think he only got like 20% of the minutes there. And on, power on in Edmonton, he looks like he's going to be on power play one, the best power play in the league, playing in the net front. So I think there's a good chance he sees a spike in production just based on going to the top power play and getting maybe three times as many minutes as usual.
1: Right, I see. So basically what you're saying is with Hyman, you figured out like your projection in terms of just per minute, mm-hmm. uh, taking into account his previous year's stats, but now, since this year you figured out that you think he's going to be playing more minutes, especially on the power play, that's why he ends up getting bumped to a projection that's higher than his career high. Last year he had 33 points in 43 games for a 63-point pace, and this year you have him projected for a 66-point pace. That's because you're expecting the extra power play time.
2: Yeah, um, and he's an established player, but he... Like Even those get regressed a bit, so if not for the power play time, he might be around 55 to 60, but because of the power play time, he gets bumped to 65 range, and what my model doesn't account for is players changing environments, so it doesn't account for the fact he'll probably play with Convict David, so I, it could be underrating him. But then again, he played with Matthews and Marner, so maybe not. We, we will see.
1: Yeah, no, for sure. I think that's 66. It already seems kind of high for Zach Hyman, Mm -hmm. so I I don't think you need to go any higher there. Uh, I guess also you were saying a bit about how, like, for rookies, like, you take their age as a factor. Mm -hmm. So, like, I'm looking at, like, a couple of sends. You've got Tim Stutzla and Josh Norris, both projected for 63-point paces. Last year, they only paced for, like, 45 and 51 points respectively, so you've given them both a huge bump. Like, so what leads your model to give these two guys who have never come close to a 63-point pace, what makes you project that?
2: Uh, there's definitely some age adjustment so uh, stutzel will have uh I think he's 18 19 so he'll have one of the biggest bumps just from being young and expecting a young player to have a higher scoring pace the following year and I think with both I expected a big minutes increase as well figuring they'll be a more prominent part of the lineup and get more time to play at even strength more power play time and I think that enough it was able to create that huge boost.
1: I see right so again the time on ice the one subjective part is what brings yeah. them up okay so here's where it gets interesting so obviously I agree with a lot of your projections and I've done some spreadsheets of my own and mm-hmm. it seems like the patrons of Keeping Carlson agree with you also for the most part basically what I did is we've been doing a bunch of mock drafts with our patrons and so I took your spreadsheet and I deter oh I put in the cacophony of the Keeping Carlson Ultimate Patron Fantasy League League settings which I think is pretty mm-hmm. standard like mostly weighted for offense uh, a decent amount for shots and then like a little bit for your hits and blocks and some of the peripherals. No plus minus. Don't worry, don't. But uh, so basically, I put in my league settings into mm-hmm. your spreadsheet. I got for each player a rank for their position. Just to keep it simple. I just did like forwards, defenseman, and goalies. I didn't get it into like center, left wing, right wing. Mm-hmm. Then I looked at the mock draft results, which Kevin A. Bear has been putting together this spreadsheet of like all the average ADPs of all of the players in the mock drafts we've been doing recently. So now I've got a ranking of each player in terms of their position rank from our mock drafts, and I've got the ranking from your spreadsheet. And I compared them to see which players you guys disagree with the most. So now we can get a sense of who maybe is someone that's like an outlier in your spreadsheet in terms of the projection not being what people will expect. And -hmm. so let's go through some of these guys. And I'll be interested to get your take on do you agree more with with your model? Or do you agree more with the patrons of Kevin Carlson for where they took them? Okay. All right. So let's start with some players that you're higher on than the patrons. And I want to start in net. That's actually one position we didn't talk about. So maybe you could afterwards Mm -hmm. talk about how you came up with those projections as well. But the first guy that really jumps out is Jacob Markstrom who you have ranked fourth as fourth best goalie in our settings uh, behind only Hellebuck, Vasilevsky, and Saros. The patrons were taking him as the 10th ranked goalie overall. I think I know the answer here because our league setting is like there's a lot of volume like yeah. we do have points for uh, saves and wins but then negative points for goals against but the wins aren't worth like that much uh, so I see you've got Markstrom starting 60 games and only winning 31 of them and only putting up mm-hmm. a meager 9.10 save percentage but in our format that'll be enough to be still the fourth best goal so that's maybe more just a heads up for people to really make sure you use Dom's spreadsheet to put in your league settings so you rank these guys properly but I guess is your take that just Markstrom's going to be one of the biggest volume guys in the league just because Calgary doesn't have any else
2: it is yeah he seems like a pretty safe bet for that um I remember last year one of the big guys um the model there were two one of them hit one of them didn't that's the thing with goalies so the two guys last year were Cam Talbot and John Gibson and Cam Talbot was a bit safer because Minnesota looked better but John Gibson was supposed to be um a big volume guy on a bad team and he didn't pan out but Cam Talbot ended up being one of the best fancy goalies because He Minnesota ended up being surprisingly good, and he played, I think, uh 70, 60% of the games. And that's I think the biggest thing people sleep on with goalies is that an average goalie getting 60 starts is probably better than a good goalie getting 45. And there's a lot of those goalies now where there's a bigger timeshare, and I think Markstrom adds value just from being basically a bell cow in net. And I drafted him myself. Um the goalies that were going before him i couldn't believe they were so bad He was just sitting there and like round one of the last rounds he's one of the last goalies taken and yeah i it's not that i think he's that great but i think he's fine and calgary should be an average team so i i do think he's a good target in the later rounds because as you know from previous stints on this podcast i don't like to reach for goalies because i think it is insane um how much they change from year to year, and you don't really know. Markstrom, a year ago, was probably a top target because in Vancouver he looked unreal and Calgary looked like a better team, and then he ended up being a little dusty. This year, I think he's probably an underrated target um, because people only look at last year and forget that he's been a, a decent goalie before, and again, it's always about start volume for me as well.
1: Well, yeah, Calgary's backup right now, I think it's slated to be Dan Vladar, who's never mm-hmm. even played a season in the league. So definitely there there's all the reasons to expect that Markstrom gets the large majority of starts. Uh, so one of these goals, I'm going to guess... One of the people that you were bringing up as someone who you were surprised they were getting taken ahead of Markstrom, at least according to your spreadsheet, has got to be Darcy Kemper, right? Because he's someone who, or you tell me, but like the patrons have him ranked as the sixth goalie, according to our mock drafts, behind only mm-hmm. Vasilevsky, Hellebuck, Leonard, Saros, and Shastjorkin. Your model clearly doesn't see it that way. It has Kemper all the way down at 19th. You only have him projected for 45 games and a 915 save percentage. So definitely nothing like what Grubauer did last year or a save percentage similar to what Kemper's done in the past. I know last wasn't that amazing? So, is this you thinking? Like, how do you come up with that games played projection for goalies? Is that again just like you're talking to the beat writers and trying to figure it out? Because I would have expected yeah. Kemper to get more, but obviously you're thinking François is going to steal a bunch of starts?
2: It is tough. Um, and luckily, you can edit the games played projections for goalies if you think Kemper will start more and just say, you know what? Screw you, dumb. I think he's going to start 55 games. And then, boom, just like that, he moves from 19th to probably like third because he is a good goalie on the best team in the league, so I fully get that. Um, With Kemper, the reason he's lower is he is an injury risk, and I think François is... He was a very good goalie when he played, and I think he can push him for starts, and I don't think he will be the cut-and-dry, like, big-volume start guy, although the next time I update, I'll probably move it up from 45, to be honest. I, I do think that's probably a little... A little low, maybe maybe fifty, maybe fifty five. We'll see.
1: Ah, okay. Well, there you go. So the people listening either just make sure to download the updated Dom spreadsheet <laughs> when it's out, or you could use this podcast as your guide to like where to go and maybe make edits if Dom is saying that he agrees yeah. with the patrons more than his rankings.
2: Well, here's the, you can always you can always edit. That's the beauty of it. And if you're good with uh, Excel, you can update your own projections. You can do a a blend. I know in the past Scott Cullen has done really good projections, and it's probably worthwhile. To take the time and like blend mine and his together and get a a super projection because two heads are always better than one. Um, But yeah, they're always editable and. If you don't agree with me, that is okay.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. No, that, no. what I was saying is that we're giving people tips on who they should go and edit. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, that's a good idea to just maybe blend you and Scott Cullen. One thing I like to do is make a spreadsheet where I have, like, a little drop down for each player where I can choose between you or Scott Cullen. <laughs> and then I kind of go through and g- use my gut to decide who I like better. <laughs> and then I also have, like, a 50 50- – I don't know. I always go too ham with preparing mm-hmm. for my traps. Okay, let's do one more goalie before we get to skaters. In a similar vein to Jacob Markstrom, you've got Matt Murray starting 55 games. So only five less than Markstrom. That actually makes him uh, tied for fourth in games played, according to your projections, behind only Hellebug, Vasilevsky, and Markstrom. He's tied with a few people. Uh, so obviously our patrons in our mock drafts were not excited about Matt Murray. He was being mm-hmm. taken as the 37th ranked goalie, not even drafted mm-hmm. in some of the leagues. Uh, according to our league settings, though, uh, with your projections, he's the 12th ranked goalie, even with a 9.03 projected save percentage. Ooh. I guess it's just because of the volume. So maybe that's actually making me think that our couple years. league settings... What are your... What so, are your... <laughs> uh, well, I don't know it's- Uh, a lot of points for saves and you got a little bit of a hit for a goal against but i guess not as much as last year but do you really think though that matt murray has it in him to be a volume guy at this stage Uh, in his career and play 55 games
2: uh volume yes good no (laughs) so i'm wondering if the like the the save to goal against ratio is maybe what like what is what's how many points for a save
1: we did 0.35 for a save and then negative 1.5 for a goal against Interesting. So last last year it was negative two for a goal against, but then we found goalies weren't being drafted at all, and they weren't found to be that valuable, mm-hmm. so we decided to make... And also, people didn't like how they were getting negatives a lot of nights. Like, for example, when Matt Murray was in net, so we decided mm-hmm. to give a little bit of relief for these uh, goalies that led in a lot of goals. So what
2: I have is 0.5 for a save and minus three for a goal against. So, basically, years would be 0.7 for a save in my league, and... Like I've also like looked at it, because I remember it used to be 0.4 and minus 3, and goalies were just getting railed. They just could not get any points, and we moved up to 0.5, and I think that was decent. That might still be too low if scoring is up, but I think that might be the reason uh, Murray is so high, because he's getting all these credits for saves because Ottawa's such a bad team, right? And they're going to allow a lot of shots against, and he's probably not going to get dinged for a goal against as much as perhaps he should.
1: Right, well, regardless, I guess the real question to me that I think is interesting is, like, Matt Murray hasn't played 55 games in his whole career. So that's why <laughs> that's I was... That is true, yeah. <laughs> I, I would have been nervous about the injuries and not draft him because I think he'll probably... And even if he does, you know, not get injured, I think there's a good chance that he's not as good as the backup, or at least they're, like, 50-50. So mm-hmm. I thought that was the interesting thing I wanted to bring up. It's just, like, do you believe in Matt Murray just in terms of getting all these games?
2: Uh, I mean, now that you mentioned his own injury history, no, I do not. <laughs>
1: All right, so let's get to some skaters now. Obviously a lot easier to predict. Still not easy, but easier than goalies as far as mm-hmm. I'm concerned. So... Um Nikolai Ehlers is the next one I want to talk about. These are, again, players that uh, you're higher than on than, than the patrons. And we'll get to the players that the patrons are higher on than, than you. Uh, so, Ehlers, your model projects him to match his 80-point pace from last season, putting him ahead of even, like, Kyle Connor, who the patrons were generally drafting ahead of Ehlers. Uh, in our format, Ehlers is your 17th-ranked forward, and he was being taken as, like, the 37th forward in our drafts. You even have him increasing his shot on goal rate. Like, he was a 3.1 shots per game last year. Now you have him up at 3.3. So I'm curious to know, like, why the increase for Ehlers' shots, you know, to go along with that really high point pace again. Are you just expecting him to get more time on ice or maybe more power play time this year?
2: Yeah, that is the big thing, because if I did nothing, he would have been a good regression candidate. A lot of his 5-on-5 stats were a little juiced. His power play stats were pretty juiced as well. But he, for some reason, has always been on power play 2 in Winnipeg, and he was unreal in the power play last year. And... I think this is the year they start figuring out that Nikolai Ehlers is their best player and use him as such. I think last year they had Paul Stastny. Paul Stastny on the top power play, <laughs> and Nikolai Ehlers sitting on that second unit. Honestly, given that they probably they use Josh Morrissey a lot, they'd probably be better served just using five forwards, because they can. Um, but they didn't, and I I get the feeling that this is the year that changes, and Ehlers will be power play one. Um, I talked to Murat, who's the Winnipeg beat writer, and... He wanted to believe, but he wasn't sure. Um, so that is not set in stone, but I, I have a good feeling about Ehlers. That one's subjective, though. It is, it is pretty subjective. Um, we'll see if it pays off, but he's always around 16 minutes, and you can see on the spreadsheet he's at 18 minutes this year, and that's from a bit of a power play boost, and uh, we'll see if he gets it.
1: Yeah, I guess he's always been great in terms of his per minute stats. It's just a matter of, yeah, if you're right, that he's going to get that extra time. Like on one hand, you say, well, Paul Stasny was on top power play. So obviously that means Ehlers should have a good shot. But on the other hand, Stasny's back. They re-signed him. Mm-hmm. So I guess we'll find out if this is your like Murat said as well, that like they finally decide to move Stasny down at, at 35 years of age and get Ehlers up on that top power play. And then, yeah, the sky's the limit. Maybe even your 80 point projection is like potentially too low. Like I'd be really excited to see what Ehlers could do with mm-hmm. top power play time. Me too. Okay, so next up, I've got Jared McCann here. So your model has not projected to lead Seattle in scoring with a 59-point pace, and that makes him uh, the 68th ranked forward in our league settings, and the Patriots were taking him at around 102. Obviously, I guess you're really believing in what McCann did last year. He had a career year last year where he put up a 61-point pace with Pittsburgh. It was like, especially at the end of the season, things really took off once he got into the top six. I believe it was because uh, Crosby was injured at one point or Malkin was injured. Mm-hmm. Uh, so now he goes to Seattle. Your model sees him pretty much staying just as great, being the highest scoring player on the Kraken. Uh, so yeah, can you explain why you have that? Is that just like you're projecting him to get the most ice time?
2: Uh, it's a little bit of that. I do project him to get an ice time boost, especially power play one. And he was amazing on the power play for Pittsburgh last year. He is what helped them get out of a funk. I remember early on they were struggling and McCann steps in and suddenly it's working. And I think a lot of people give, I guess they take credit away from him because they think that his point pace was because of Malkin or Crosby last year. And that's just not the case. He was leading his own line for a bit of time um, when Malkin was injured, he was on the second line and he was putting up these amazing results. So I think with McCann, we see him potentially taking over the top line center job early on, especially with Yanni Gord out and being one of Seattle's most trusted scorers. I personally see him as potentially Seattle's Jonathan Marchessault, where a lot of people weren't believing that Marchisot's production was the real deal back in Florida and then he gets to Vegas and he continues doing his thing. And I think McCann can be, can perform in the, a similar vein. And I drafted him in my league, um, because I had to, because I didn't have many picks and I needed to take those high risk shots. I think McCann is worthy of a, a deep sleeper selection.
1: Yeah, so maybe if people are using your sheet and they have McCann up, ready to go, like you were saying at the start, they can use their ADP and be smart. Like Even if they believe you, they can still wait a couple of rounds, maybe still get McCann and then hope to get that really good late round value. Because like I was saying, the patrons were taking him a lot further down than you have him. But I don't see a big reason to disagree with you. Like 60-point projection isn't too crazy if he's going to be a top-line, top power play guy on the Mm -hmm. team. It's just so hard to predict what Seattle's going to do since we've never seen him before.
2: Yeah, and the big thing with... A lot of Seattle player projections is that when I was doing the power play um, ice time, um, the only one who played power play one regularly was uh, Jordan Eberly. So a lot of Seattle players just got a boost based on someone has to fill that power play now. And McCann was one of those guys where I think the power play will probably be structured around him and uh, Eberly. In Vegas's first year, the two power plays were split a bit, so I didn't go crazy and say they're going to get like 65% of the ice time. But even... is a a big step up from where uh, McCann was before.
1: Do you recall who you had as the defenseman quarterbacking the top power play in Seattle?
2: Um, I had a 52-48 split between Giordano and Vince Dunn because I truly don't know.
1: Right. Okay. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, okay, so let's go now to a player that your model loves, and I'm really curious to see why. Uh, and that's Jacob Verana. So this is a guy whose career high is a 62-point pace with Washington 2019-20. Last year, 59-point pace with the Caps and the Wings. I know we had that, like, four-goal game at the end of the year. Uh, but you've got him bursting past all of that with a 67-point mm-hmm. pace projection in his first full season with Detroit. That makes him the 50th ranked forward for us. Uh, the patrons were taking him as the 88th ranked forward in the uh, mock draft. Do you have any idea why you projected him to break out like that at the age of 25?
2: Uh, Vrana is, has already broken out. He's a permanent god. He is unreal per-minute. I have no idea why Washington did not play him. I know why they didn't play him on the top power play. That makes sense. It's loaded already. Um, in Detroit, he won't have that problem. He's going to be power play one. He's going to be on the top line. He's going to get more minutes than he ever has before. And I think we saw what he can do. When he was in Detroit already, he scored i think almost point per game or maybe he was point per game and he was getting 18 minutes a night and i think he can beat his career high based on what he's shown on a permanent basis uh for washington over the past three years
1: so your idea is just he's going to be getting a lot more minutes on detroit than he was getting in washington and then like accordingly he'll just like do a lot better the my, my uh, i guess counterpoint would be like it's detroit like how good can someone be there
2: <laughs> that that is absolutely fair um the the issue, again, with my projections is I don't account for context um, in terms of moving pl- moving players moving teams. We saw that with Hyman. But Vran already played some games with Detroit. He had an audition with them, and he knocked it out of the park. So I'm not as worried, and he's going to play with Larkin, so he's not playing with a bad player. It's probably one of the best players he has played with because I don't know if he... I think he got time with Backstrom, but maybe not as much. Um, with Larkin, I think he'll be a bit more consistent
1: okay yeah i guess that's reasonable yeah we have seen like mantha have good seasons in detroit in the past and then also some bad seasons so hopefully this is their bertuzzi's backs so maybe if the top line is larkin bertuzzi and verana that could work out pretty well mm-hmm. so that'll be interesting And yes yeah, so you're sticking with this uh big projection for verana i'm curious to see if it'll if it'll work out uh we'll see yeah it's interesting because there's a lot of other guys in exciting new situations this coming season that your model is like less excited about than you know maybe uh, the patrons are expecting that a lot of people are expecting like one example like i've got a couple Panthers in here, Sam Reinhardt paced for 61 points last year your model is projecting like a 63 point pace in Florida uh, I know a lot of people have like a lot of hype for this guy thinking now he's going to be playing you know potentially with Barkov uh, but I guess your model doesn't take that into account the patrons were taking mm-hmm. him as the 45th forward on average versus your uh, 75th forward ranking with the projection mm-hmm. you have so do you agree with your model that Reinhardt's going to kind of stay the same as he was in Buffalo?
2: Uh, I agree with my model because I hate Sam Reinhardt and I'm going to tell you a story about Sam Reinhardt. Nice. <laughs> this man has ruined my life twice. Um, I don't know what it is about Sam Reinhardt during the fantasy playoffs, but three or four years ago, I had the best team was in the final dusty ass team, um, finished, I think fourth or fifth in the league and ended up in the final. We have a four team final and it goes on for three weeks, and it's the most points between those four teams. And last game of the season, for fantasy purposes, Sam Reinhart gets a power play hat trick. And this guy shoots from third to first in a heartbeat. And I lost. And I shouldn't have lost, but I did. Flash forward to this past year, fantasy playoffs, the same guy has Sam Reinhart, and again, Buffalo is the is terrible. Sam Reinhart has done nothing all year, and there he is in the fantasy playoffs, being one of the most productive players in the entire league. And I I hate him. There's no I don't hate any player, but I hate Sam Reinhart. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that did not affect the projections at all. I didn't personally subtract any points from Sam Reinhart. That's just. I need people to know how much I hate this this player.
1: <laughs> I mean, I was thinking when you were going to say how much you hate him, you were going to talk about how you've had him on your team, and he, like, let no. you down. It's like you hate him because of how good he's been for your opponents.
2: <laughs> like, in spe- very specific situations, because he has no business doing that based on everything else he's shown for the previous amount of time before he got to fancy playoffs. So I don't know what it is. Um, but, yeah, Florida has magic. Um, we saw Sam Bennett just roll in and be unreal. Carter Verhaeg went from fourth-liner to first-liner. Anthony Duclair was a top-line talent next to Barkov. So if Sam Reinhardt is next to Barkov, I would definitely buy into that hype. Um I'm just a little concerned because he's played with Eichel and nothing has really happened from that. So I I don't know. We'll see. I I like the talent he has. I'll respect the talent <laughs> he has. I think a breakout should be coming, and I think he's going to a team that can facilitate that. I would just be worried about overdrafting him.
1: I see. So you're kind of thinking that people should still stick with your model, and maybe that 63-point projection, maybe bump him up to like 65, 66, but not crazy, like point mm-hmm. per game, like some people are thinking.
2: Yeah, there's there's a lot of times where everyone's like, oh, this guy's going to break out, and then they don't do anything. I think re- I, last year, um, it was uh, Svechnikov Mania, where everyone thought he would he was poised for like an 80 85-point season, like, big breakout, and I think he just did the exact same thing he always did. Right. So I, I'm i worried about... My model does not forecast breakouts unless it's a time when ice bump like we see with Frana, because I think those are a bit random and hard to come by. And I think if a lot of people are saying it, I sometimes get weary. But at the same time, Reinhardt is in a perfect situation in Florida. Um, elite center, everyone that goes there seems to do so much better than they were before and he gets the buffalo stink off of him so if ever there was an overhyped player um, to target he was the one um, but it's just not my MO usually
1: yeah, and of course, people are only thinking of the glass half full. Like, you could say also in Buffalo, he was getting like all these big minutes because he was like mm-hmm. the main guy. Now he's in Florida where there's so many good players on the team. It's, he's not as guaranteed the top power play. I'm sure he starts there on the top power play, but maybe he doesn't mm-hmm. hold it the whole year. So, yeah, there is some reason to be a little bit mm-hmm. wary. So, I like where your model has him.
2: The, the other issue with Reinhardt is um, a lot of people point to his big breakout uh, last year that ruined my life, and that <laughs> was when he played center. And. I don't think he's going to play center in uh in Florida if he's starting with Barkov. If he does, he'll probably play with Huberdeau, which is nice and it'll give him like secondary minutes to feast on. Um so we'll see, but on the wing he's not he might not be as good as he is as a center. And if he is a center and I guess he has both eligibility so it may not matter, but um yeah, we will see.
1: Okay, for sure. Yeah. And there's another Florida player, which you brought up that I definitely want to ask you about. So we'll get to that in just a sec. You're listening to Kevin Carlson all right we are back and yes we were talking about sam reinhardt on florida so i might as well ask you about this other player sam bennett who obviously your model doesn't respect too much because he had this amazing run but it was over only 10 games after he got traded to florida he popped off for 15 points in 10 games after moving from calgary to florida then in the playoffs he had five points in five playoff games so you know definitely looking like he's for real over there he was on the second line centering huberdo playing on the top power play obviously reinhardt's in the picture now so it's hard to say what's going to happen with the power play. i guess you could tell me what your projections have in terms of how that power play is working out but i'll just say first that so yeah so you haven't projected for only a 39 point pace basically just like as bad as he was in calgary pretty much the patrons were like psyched about him he's getting drafted as like the 70th uh forward overall on average you're you are you have him ranked like way down like 145th forward uh so what do you think do you agree with your model that bennett is just a lowly 39 point guy or is this a case where people need to be changing your projection
2: well, the thing with Bennett is he was not a 39-point guy with Calgary. He was like 30. Probably. Right. <laughs> like he was even lower because he was so bad in Calgary. Um, I think it's a matter of waiting 180 other games versus 10. Exactly. And that is, yeah. It's very difficult to be sure after 10 games. Players go on hot streaks all the time. Um, remember Jack Roslovic? his first 10 games in Columbus, and he had like, I think, 12 points. And then the next, like, 40, um, he was just an average, regular dude. So if we just go based on how he started his time in Florida, then Bennett is obviously looking unreal. But I'm a bit skeptical he can keep on that pace. I think I do probably have him a bit too low. There was some magic in Florida. But I don't think with Reinhardt there he'll be on that top power play. And I – Yeah. I think it'll be higher than thirty-nine point pace. I just wouldn't get ahead of myself and go, "Oh, this is a sixty, seventy-point player now."
1: I see. Okay, so if let's say people want to be conservative, they don't want to like get overly hyped, but at the same time, they do want to like not th- let this guy go undrafted because if you leave it how it is now, it's basically like, don't even draft. Like, what would you project him at if you were going to modify your sheet for your draft?
2: Uh, I think fifty might feel safe. Um, I would hesitate to go any higher than that. Fifty feels like okay, especially for a second line center um the one thing i do want to do in future years i just never have time is like have like my own opinion on these sheets and say this player should be higher um this player should be lower but yeah never enough time and i think it is helpful to have just like a a baseline and then people can fill it with their own opinions um but i do i do think there's value in having someone say i think this player is a little better especially the person who actually you know created this um so next year i think I'll, i'll have something um that's a little more subjective to add um or even a way to just quickly adjust uh projections like maybe a little button that says i think this guy will break out and then boom his stats inflate by like 10 percent oh like that wouldn't that be fun Little 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 (laughs) boost button
1: like in fast and the furious when you're like losing the race and the last minute you press the button in your car and then you win the race yeah, just a little uh, little boost, a little NOS. Yeah, well, <laughs> at least for this year, we could just uh, tell people this uh, podcast episode is the addendum to your spreadsheet mm-hmm. to go and let you know who you might want to consider increasing. Uh, so then Bennett obviously came from Calgary. I want to point out another Calgary guy that jumped out to me. Uh, so again, I'm actually back on your list now of players that you're higher on than our patrons before I'll switch to the to the other list. But uh, Noah Hannafin, you've got him at a 41 point projection. Like he was basically not being drafted in most of our mock drafts. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have him as like the defenseman on calgary's and get the most points like 41 points obviously isn't crazy but i'd imagine you've got him there because you're expecting him to take the top power play in calgary over i guess like rasmus anderson or you so mm-hmm. whoever the other contenders are
2: i i do think it'll be Hannafin. i think the organization uh likes him a lot i think he's a left shot so i think he'll get a good crack because he can fill giardano's role probably the best of anyone Obviously, he's been a bit disappointing to start his career, but he was a fifth overall pick at one point. He's got a lot of talent, and the coaches love him. Uh, I asked Haley Salvian who she thinks, and she is leaning Hannafin, which is why I have him so high. And I think the big boost of 41 points was almost entirely, this guy's going to get more power play time now. Um, But yeah, I drafted him. Um, Someone drafted Rastus Anderson so early, I'm like, you sucker. (laughs) Because Anderson sucks. He sucks.
1: I mean, that was a good pick last year, right? Because last year, if you wanted to use your last pick to take Rasmus Anderson, he was the one playing on the top power play in like training camp. I took him in one of my leagues, and he was actually good to start the year. But then eventually, he lost favor. He got bumped from the top power play. Now with new coach Sutter, he you know when he came in, he didn't put Anderson on the top power play. So I definitely agree with you at this point. Don't draft that guy if you're going to take a swing on someone. Either take the upside in Valimaki, who I know some prospect people think mm-hmm. he has you know the chance to one day be this great player. Uh, but in the meantime, it seems like yeah, Hannafin's a safe pick.
2: Yeah, I drafted Anderson for the same reason as well last year. I'm like, oh, yeah, this is it. I'm going to reap the rewards. And I did for a bit. And then I watched like some Calgary games, and he just he looked lost on that top <laughs> unit. And I think they they do need that left shot to uh, facilitate things. Um, I I believe in Hannafin. I drafted him this year very late. My last pick, I'm like, I know he's going to be there, so I'll just take him there. And I think he's a guy you can definitely target um, where there's a bit of upside based on how much his role should change.
1: Yeah, I think like you could really do well in fantasy if you have smart like late picks in your draft, like maybe the earlier picks. It's almost like maybe you don't want to take the swing. Like why swing on like a Sam Reinhardt when you can probably get another like more safe 70-ish point player at the pace where he's getting taken. And then later on in your draft, that's where you could really win. Yeah, Get a defenseman who no one's thinking about that potentially is going to be on the top power play. Yes, we'll see what happens. Like last year, I actually took a swing on Rasmus Anderson at the end of one of my drafts and also Jacob Chikrin. And obviously mm. Chikrin was the one who worked out a lot better. And now uh, I don't have him uh, queued up to talk about today, but I know your model's very high on him. And I guess for good reason. I know a lot of people are a little bit concerned because Arizona doesn't have like anyone for him to play with. But obviously your model doesn't take that into account.
2: He could take 400 shots next year just because he'll be the only one taking shots. I remember last year, uh, my friend in my league, he had like no picks. And I'm like, oh, just do what I did. Just start targeting, uh, players who are like 22 to 24, who look ready to break out, um, who haven't yet. And I'm like, I, I really like Chikrin, uh, for Arizona. I think he'll be on the top power play. he's like, yeah, it's good, it's a good choice. <laughs> and, uh, I'm mad about it because I should have just draft him
1: myself. Well, too, yeah. I'm too nice. It's i so guess nice. so. yeah you well you release projections to the world people are probably using your projections against you in these well, drafts. He, no he,
2: here's the thing there's a reason my projections always come out the day after labor day my draft is labor, labor day every year
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome <laughs> Yeah, I feel like, uh, it was, like, Chikrin and Ryan Pulak last year, who I feel like I was thinking are the two sort of defensemen that you might be able to get kind of late that have, like, nice peripherals and potentially, you know, what if they mm-hmm. get on the top power play, we'll see what happens. And obviously Pulak's gone in the other direction, so maybe this year, I've been thinking, maybe this year Pulak can be the Chikrin, where you can get him super late, and who knows, maybe, I don't think he's gonna be as good as Chikrin was, that was insane, but, uh, mm-hmm. I don't know, he's a guy that jumps out at me as maybe a decent sleeper.
2: I have, I have no idea what that, like, that power play is not very good, um, I don't know if it'll be Pulak because he doesn't seem to be playing well on it. Um, could be Noah Dobson. Yeah. Could be Eric Gustafson, who signed a PTO. Um, and he could just be like their power play specialist. Uh, I'm not sure, but we'll see.
1: Yeah, with the Islanders also, it's like they've had a lot of turnover. They, so we'll see now how the power... I don't know, that team is really hard to project. Uh, yeah. But anyway, generally you don't want to be putting your hopes on a power play defenseman on Islanders, even if it is the person getting the most time because it doesn't usually work out too well. Alright, so I still have a few more players here that you're higher on than the patrons, but I want to, maybe I'll save them for the end if we have time. I want to switch to some players now that the patrons are higher on than you so that you can, like, you know, put the smack down on them and tell them why they're dumb for reaching for these players. So. Mm Let's start with uh, Patrick Laine. So clearly some people still believe in this guy. He was the 55th ranked forward on average in our drafts. Perhaps they're excited that he'll have Voracek now on his wing to like dish him the puck. Uh, You do not have, you know, your spreadsheet does not expect him to bounce back to the glory days. You have him at a 53 point pace, only 2.3 shots per game. So do you concur with your model that Laine is not likely to be an impact guy again this season?
2: I traded for Patrick Laine a week before he was traded from Winnipeg. Ah, brutal and i paid a lot to do it um and i'm still mad about it i almost paid alex debrinkit and luckily the guy trading for him didn't want him um so that worked out for me uh and debrinkit is a keeper for me now but Line A was supposed to be like like that guy for me i had a high hopes for him last year i thought he's finally figuring things out in winnipeg and then he got traded to an absolutely dumpster fire of a team with no offensive creativity almost anywhere in the lineup. Um, I like that they got forward check. That could help line A um, with a passer on his line. He's so difficult because of what he is, which is an incredibly one-dimensional shooter who does not do anything else. And he'll basically need that power play to click to get to 60, 70 points. And I just don't see Columbus's power play doing that. He doesn't create enough on his own. Um, I do recall the one highlight real goal last year where he went end to end and that is few and far between because he doesn't do the little things that I think create production enough and enough to be a reliable player to play 18, 19 minutes a night. Um, I, I like the talent. I think he could be a 60 point player, but based on what we saw in Columbus last year, I would not take a risk on him at all.
1: Yeah, you still have him higher than what he did last year. Last year, you only had like a 43-point pace. You have him bumped up to 53 at least. So yeah, Mm -hmm. people are expecting even higher than that. Yeah, if you're saying that he needs to be playing with good players who could help create the opportunities for him, I don't think Columbus is the place because this is a team that's in tank mode right now. Yeah, exactly. All right, so uh, I guess a lower caliber guy in terms of hype, but still someone that I'm interested to get your take on is Christian Dvorak, who just got traded to the Habs. He paced for 45 points last year. You have him projection for even less, like a 43 point pace, basically the 175th forward, not worth drafting in most formats. Some of our patrons could like him a lot better. Maybe it's just we have a lot of Habs fans. I don't know. But he was taken in our draft around the 210 overall, like 133rd forward. I'm just curious to get your thoughts. Like he goes to now Montreal, where I'd imagine he's slotting in as the second line center playing with, say, like, Hoffman and Gallagher, which wouldn't be too bad of a line. So uh, do you concur with your model that Dvorak's just going to stay like this meeker, like, not worth rostering in most fantasy leagues kind of guy? Or do you think there's upside there as the 2C on Montreal?
2: Uh, I wouldn't roster him, I don't think. But it's complicated with him. Um, Two years ago, he played with Connor Garland and was very effective at 5-on-5. And if you think he can be that again with Gallagher, then he'll probably be a little higher than my model has him. The issue was last year he didn't have Garland and he was a put in a shutdown role, didn't have much help. And at five on five, he scored, I think, at like a fourth or third line rate and was terrible. All of his points were on the power play. And I don't really expect him to be on the top power play in Montreal. So that was one of the reasons that he was bumped down. But I think his five on five production might come back up with more talented line mates this year. Again, he will probably get the Deneau treatment and be the shutdown guy and maybe that's the thing that held him back last year and why he might not be as productive at five and five, but yeah, I'm not, I'm not super high on him. If you look at his micro stats, this man does nothing out there. Um, he doesn't move the puck into the zone. He doesn't really pass. He doesn't really shoot. Um, he's sort of, he is extreme Tyler Bozak energy and (laughs) you're basically paying for his line mates. So if you think, that Gallagher and Hoffman are good and he can leech off that then I guess he's worth a flyer I just I don't I don't see I wouldn't take the risk on him that late I'd go with someone who has a lot more upside in those rounds I think he's a very safe 40 to 50 point player and there's probably a guy who's in that range who might break out for 60 or 70 and I don't think that's him
1: Right, I see. So you're thinking in a lot of leagues, maybe he'll be the kind of player that gets added and dropped all throughout the season but not sticking on people's lineups. All right, fair enough. There's another Canadian, though, that I want to bring up that definitely should be drafted, though, I don't know, maybe not according to your spreadsheet. Uh, This is a guy who had uh 69 point pace breakout last year i'm talking about tyler to but you've got him Mm. bumped back down to only a 52 point pace projection i'm assuming i'm curious to know is that because you don't necessarily think he's going to be on the top line or is it just those weak la years like holding him back too much like i'm very curious to know why you have to just like regressing so bad to only that 52 point projection after being almost a 70 point guy last year
2: i yeah i think it's the la years probably bring him down um if he was 70 last year and was 50 in L.A., you can probably split, split the difference and bring him around 60, but he's also 29, um, not an, exactly an age where players just suddenly start breaking out, so I think it's a possibility that last year was a bit of a flash in the pan. Uh, the fact he doesn't play that much uh, hurts because, as I said before, like players are regressed to uh, their role, so if he's playing a second-line rate, he'll be regressed to other second-line players instead of the scoring rate he was at so i think 52 pace is probably a bit low but i'd be a little concerned that last year was uh, a one-hit wonder year for him
1: i see so maybe like bump him up a little bit maybe to around 60 tops but don't go too crazy i guess like i'm excited about this like caulfield suzuki to foley line but obviously if everything breaks perfectly then maybe he could repeat what he did last year but yeah there's a lot of reasons to think that things won't go as well i know he had a high shooting percentage
2: I mean, he might not even be on that line. I, I talked to Arpen uh, Basu, and he said, I have no idea what the lines are going to okay. look like. Um, if, he's all, if he's left wing on that top line, then, yeah, that's a, a good place to be. But he might be right wing on the third line. So if he's playing with Jake Evans and uh, Jonathan Druin or Mike Hoffman, then
1: it's well, yeah. very exciting. Yeah, for sure. He was on the third line for a bit last year, I recall, Mm -hmm. but he was getting top power play and doing well there. So yeah, the Habs, I guess, are really tricky to project right now.
2: But top power play on the Habs is uh, like 54% of the power play time. So like, what does it matter, right?
1: Right, true. Yeah. So I guess Toffoli is kind of getting the Sam Bennett treatment a little Mm -hmm. bit. Like, yeah, A little bit, yeah. Little Recency is making people more excited about him than maybe they should be, and maybe your spreadsheet is bringing him to a little bit lower than they should be. So yeah, split the mm-hmm. difference, maybe bump him up just a little bit. Uh, another guy who just recently broke out and your spreadsheet has decided not to... Uh, you know, expect him to be able to keep doing it is Andre Palat over on Tampa. So last year mm-hmm. he had that breakout season. He was a top-line, top power play for a lot of the year. Ended up with a 69-point pace as a 30-year-old. I guess some patrons still think he has upside to be somewhat similar. I guess uh, an even strength, his situation might be better. He'll be playing with Kucherov and Point most likely if like what happened in the playoffs continues. uh, Even though he'll likely lose that top power play spot to Kucherov unless he bumps Killorn. Uh, you've got him back down as his boring old 53-point self. Like he's basically been his whole career. You don't see that. Uh, 70 point pace continuing or at least your model does it what do you think
2: yeah i was on uh the nhl's fantasy podcast with uh pete jensen and someone asked the same question about palat because he was a a fair bit lower than his point pace last season um and i i really just think it boils down to that power play one spot is taken now um kucherov's back they like Kalor in the net front Palat is getting the short end of the stick. Um, Palat's, I just pulled this up right now. Palat's points per 60 at 5 on 5, 1.82 in 2018 19, 1.84 2019 20, 1.88 last year. Nothing meaningful changed about his even strength scoring. It's just that he got power play time and now he probably won't. And that's, that's the gist of it yeah
1: that makes sense i guess like people are really if you were talking about uh dvorak leeching off of hoffman and gallagher i think people are really assuming that palat's going to be leeching off of potentially if he's playing with kucherov and Braden point then how you know i'm sure people are thinking like how could he not just like get so many points just from being there
2: Mm -hmm. he was there in 2019-20 and he didn't have this amazing season either so that's i guess the thinking for me yeah
1: that's reasonable. All right, let's go to some defensemen now. Uh, so another player that the patrons are higher on than you. It, by the way, I, I want to again once say, like most of the players you guys agree on. So it's yeah. making it sound like this podcast. I'm like, whoa, you got this wrong. You got this wrong. But it, it's more like it would be boring to just talk about how we all agree yeah. on Connor McDavid and <laughs> whatever.
2: How how boring would that podcast be? I see like these 12 players, really great work on these projects. <laughs> oh my God, thank you so much. Like you got you to nitpick because these are the decisions that keep fantasy players up at night and will affect their, their season because I think it's like the 80, 20 rule where 80% of the time you should agree. And 20% of the time you should question things. And that is where you learn and that's where you make debates and that's where things get interesting. And that's what I guess this podcast should be in terms of projections. You don't want to talk about the 80% where you agree. You want to talk about the 20% where you want to know more about why the players are rated the way they are and, you want to discuss and debate whether they should be.
1: Yeah, my initial plan actually for this episode was going to be that I was going to take the Scott Cullen projections, compare them to your projections, and then point out the players where you guys differ, so you could help me decide which one I should mm-hmm. use. But his hasn't come out yet, so that's why I came up with this ADP idea instead. Uh, but yeah, that's basically I agree. Like it'll be an interesting thing when when those co- Scott Cullen projections do come out. I'm definitely going to be making that spreadsheet, and I'll be very fascinated to see mm-hmm. where you guys differ. And I have a feeling it'll be a lot of these uh, similar players. Uh, so, anyways, so yeah, I'm going to D the players that the Patriots are higher on than you. Uh, Shea Theodore, huge breakout last season 65 point pace only 53 the year before though at that point the 53 point pace was his career high uh he's averaged over three shots per game over his last couple seasons so he's been a super high-end guy in fantasy you have him falling back down to a 54 point pace like still all the shots on goal but you're basically saying to forget last year and go back to what he was the year before uh your fall brings him down to like the 16th ranked defenseman in our format the patrons were drafting him as the ninth defenseman so yeah why does your model not think he can repeat last season
2: I think it's just always skeptical of a defenseman putting up over 60 points unless they do it two or three times in a row. And it'll always just push them down. Because defensemen, I regress a lot heavier than uh, than forwards. So Theodore doing it once, I, I need to see him do it again. I think there's probably an issue with power play time because he is competing with Petrangelo. Um, and it's not a guarantee that he gets a huge amount of minutes there.
1: I see. So, right, your model probably just, you put in that subjective thing of how much power play time, and that's probably what did it. I'm sure if you were to bump up the power play time, that would get him a lot closer to what he to what he did last mm-hmm. year.
2: Yeah, possibly. But, like, again, it's, uh, it's the regression for defensemen. Um, if he is 50-50-60, then it'll probably believe it's closer to 50 um, until he does the 60 a second time in a row. Interesting. They just got to establish themselves and, like, be consistent because their forwards are... Easier, where if they put up 70 points, you're like, this is probably a 70-point guy now. Um, with defensemen, it's just less certainty because they do tend to yo-yo a bit.
1: I guess that's fair. Yeah, I see you have like Jacob Chikrin down at like around 50 points. So you're also not like believing in him so much for the points like compared to what he did last year. But of course, like you said, the shots on goal could be high and mm-hmm. make him still super valuable. In a lot of formats. Yeah. Okay, another defense I want to ask you about. So it's obviously a very different level than the Chikrins and the Shea Theodore, but Rasmus Ristolainen, another guy going into a new situation. The patrons, I guess, are excited to see what he could do in Philly. He was the 37th D-man taken <sighs> on average. <Yeah. laughs> You have him as the 74th D-man, only a 24-point pace, only three power play points, only 1.4 shots per game, uh, decent hits and blocks, but basically like no offense. You've got him completely written off in Philly. And, I, and hey, he only had a 30-point pace last year. You have him going even lower to 24th. He was once a guy that was like valuable in fantasy. He was getting like 40-plus points over in Buffalo. I take it your model is not expecting Ristolainen to get a, a big offensive role in his new situation in Philly.
2: Is all Rackman larsen also on your list?
1: No, no, no one's taking okay. him. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, because opposite. I guess with with Vancouver, like it's so obvious that Quinn Hughes is going to get the most offensive time. But with Philly, I guess there's like Ristolainen, there's Yandel, there's Ellis, there's Provarov. He's fourth
2: on that list. He's not, he's not getting power play time anymore. He's not top pair anymore. His usage is going to go way down. Unless he has this miracle season where he's actually good, um, his role will be a fourth defenseman. And... His entire thing in Buffalo was getting was leeching power play points, and I just don't think he'll be able to do that in Philly as easily.
1: Yeah, okay, no, that makes sense. I just wanted to be sure, because obviously some people are still into him, and he did have those couple good seasons in Buffalo, and then it's easy to sort of want to just write off Bad seasons in Buffalo recently because everyone's been yeah. bad in Buffalo. It's been such a weird team, so I'm definitely curious. I'll have him in my watch list if he doesn't get drafted in leagues. I think he will get drafted though because he's like s- has such a good floor with his peripherals. And then I guess some mm-hmm. people believe there's some offense, but obviously you you do not. <laughs> <laughs> nah, no, he's oh, he's
2: so bad. The thing about like it's always like an analytics vs eye test debate, and it's like, have you watched Rasmus Ristolainen play? Like he has no idea what he's doing out there. Like he might be one of the lowest hockey sense players I've seen in this league, and he, for some reason he just trotted out on the top pair um we'll see what he does in philadelphia in a lower role with a better partner but i i don't have much faith in him
1: so why do you think he got this contract with philly like do you think they see something in him that you don't or they just like kind of don't know what they're doing
2: um they saw that he was tall and big and mean <laughs> all the time and he had a lot of minutes and. Hockey people love to trust, uh, ice time for defensemen because they trust the coaches in charge to play the best defensemen. But sometimes when you're that close to it and you have no other options, you just choose a guy who fits the mold. And I wonder if it was just a long con in Buffalo to get multiple picks for a terrible player by just leaving him on the, uh, on the top pair. I don't know. Um, teams aren't stupid. They have other information, but. Even the other teams I've talked to, like analytics staff, they're like, yeah, he, there's nothing here that we see either.
1: Right, yeah. I guess before Rasmus Dahlin came into the picture, there really weren't many other defensemen for Buffalo to go to. So I guess that explains the high minutes, even if he wasn't that great. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's do, uh, one more goalie. Actually, this is another one where it just comes down to the games played projection, I guess. Uh, a lot of the patrons are expecting big things from our young new goalie in the league, Spencer Knight, who is going to Florida. And now he, you know, he, instead of like last year just coming in at the end of the year, he's expected to be in a tandem with Bobrovsky. I guess that you have him basically as a backup. Like you have him only projected mm-hmm. for 37 games and also like kind of a low save percentage, only a 908 save percentage. Doesn't seem, your model doesn't seem too excited about Spencer Knight, unlike some people who think he actually is the front runner to get more starts over Bobrovsky, who's been mediocre at best over these past couple of years in Florida.
2: Uh, possibly. I, I have no idea what to do with uh, that tandem. I think it'll be mostly Bobrovsky because they invested so much in him, but it very well could be the moment where Spencer Knight takes over. Uh, he didn't play that much in the NHL, so I just use whatever stats he had. He was regressed very heavily, which gets him to that low save percentage. But if you believe in him, you can, you can bump him up. Um, I, I don't know what to do with him, to be honest.
1: I kind of agree in terms of like not worth reaching for a goalie like mm-hmm. that. Obviously, if you're in a keeper league, it's a different story but yes yeah go again it's so hard to project but i just wanted to throw a few in there uh okay so I, I see we have like a little bit of time left let me get a uh, lightning round i guess of a couple All more right. players uh so Jesper brat actually really jumps out as the guy with the biggest difference that i wanted to bring up the patrons basically were like not even drafting him for the most part when he was getting drafted it was as the 183rd forward uh you've got him ranked in our format as the 102nd forward with a 58 point pace projection in new jersey uh so yeah i guess he has been good in spurts i guess he's just never been like consistently valuable all season like i've never seen him actually be on someone's fantasy roster for a whole season but last year he had a 53 point pace which was solid uh but yeah your model has him even getting better than that so do you have any reason why uh, your model's so high on you for brat uh
2: more usage more power play time and i think the the big issue with him has always been health uh he has never played a full season but last year he only played with 16 minutes i think he'll maybe see a bump in that and be one of their more used fours because he's he's one of their best fours i think and he actually hasn't been on the top power play unit yet in his career and still put up a 53 point pace last season so if he gets that role this year i think he can he can break out maybe
1: yeah, I guess the interesting thing with New Jersey is uh, that Hughes, Sharon Govich, and Kokenin line seemed kind of good. And then yeah. I, I would assume then you've got Hishir, uh Zaka, and like... Oh and Brat. And yes, for Brat, I guess would be the second line. But then they also just brought in Thomas Tatar. So does he bump someone from that picture? So wh- how do you think that works out?
2: I would expect Tatar to bump uh, Koukinen, um and be on that top line, but... They might just shelter him and put him on the third line. I'm not sure. If I signed Jatar, I'd probably put him with one of those top two centers and see if they can get like a Palmieri effect going.
1: Okay. So, yeah. So, anyways, obviously Brad is someone who you don't need to reach for, according to our mock draft ADPs, but uh, maybe someone worth taking at the end if, you're, if you think he's going to you know, have this good role on this team. And this is, this is an up-and-coming team. They also have Dougie Hamilton now to help that power yeah. play, hopefully, and maybe that helps everyone get more power play points if they're there.
2: Yeah. Uh, he, honestly he's probably a guy you like watch on the waivers to see how the team starts. I don't think I would draft him, but if that top power play is Hughes, uh Hisher, uh Bratt and Tatar, Hamilton, for example, like that's a pretty decent power play if Hamilton can do what he's done before and Hughes and Hisher take a a good step. So uh we can see there. Brat has a is a decent score. So I, I like his uh his chances of breaking out, but yeah, i to keep an eye on rather than draft.
1: Okay, yeah, fair enough. So again, the reason why you don't just have to use Dom's rankings completely, obviously, also compare it to ADP and don't take a swing that you don't have to. All right, one more guy. Uh, let's go. We were talking about Buffalo before. Uh, so your model likes Victor Olofsson a lot more than the patrons do. You've got him projected for a 55-point pace which I think would be the highest on Buffalo if Eichel's not there. Like there's really no one there without Eichel at this point. Uh, the patrons were taking him like 168th forward in the mock drafts. So you have him as the 117th forward, like a 24 goals, 55 points. So like a viable guy, like almost 200 shots. So do you really think he can do that well on Buffalo? Even if he's being, who would be his center? I guess Middlestat and like Skinner. I don't even know what that line would be.
2: Uh, yeah, that's, that's the top line. <laughs> Jeff Skinner, Casey Middlestat, Victor Olofsson, it's, it's very bad, but someone has to score on that team. And that's the, the biggest reason. And I think he, I think I bumped his minutes up like way up because he's the, the only, one of the few NHL caliber players that right. team has. But you do have to factor in that a lot of the reason his projection has been, his production has been so high is because he's played with Eichel and now he does not. So I, I wouldn't risk it. Okay. Um, but maybe he takes a step and starts creating for himself and, he does get to that pace, but I, I don't know. I'd be skeptical.
1: Yeah, so would I. I think he was the kind of guy before... I remember he was doing so well in his rookie season, and then as soon as he got bumped off the top power play for a little bit or down in the lineup, like, he wasn't doing anything. It seemed like he mm-hmm. really just needed to be playing with these good players who could dish it to him to have a good shot. Kind of like line A, I guess. Like you're saying, he yeah. needs someone good to dish him the puck. So now I don't see someone there to do that. So yeah, I definitely yeah. would be bumping him down a little, quite a bit.
2: Yeah. If I was lo- looking at anyone on Buffalo, I would look at Middlestad or Cousins and hope or pray that they become the top line center for buffalo and actually play that way but that is literally just like throwing a dart really yeah based on usage more than what they have actually
1: shown in the nhl yeah i feel bad for dalin who's supposed to be like the superstar defenseman at this point one of the best in the league and he has no chance on this Mm -hmm. team that he's on all right, so Don, this has been amazing. We've gone through so many players and hopefully people have found it interesting to get your take on the behind the scenes of how this like big computer, si- I imagine like some big like, you know, like mainframe computer system in your house, like ch- cranking out all of these uh, projections.
2: It is a, a broken laptop with uh, like 50% of the battery life it used to have and no shift key. So... <laughs> I, uh, it needs an upgrade.
1: <laughs> wow, and it still pumps out this amazing spreadsheet that so many people use. So maybe do you want to tell people how obviously they can follow all your great work, get the spreadsheet? I mean, people should know you're Dom Decision. but still, yeah, <laughs> go and uh, like promote all your awesome work.
2: Uh, yeah, the spreadsheet you can find it uh, at theathletic.com. There's a, I think it's under the betting section. I'm not sure, but if you search Dom L Fantasy on Google, it'll it'll pop up for sure. And uh, yeah, there's. Downloads for Microsoft Excel and Apple Numbers. And I... Yeah, it's a good tool. I built it. Um, I would recommend it.
1: Yeah. And also, like, uh, not to... I don't want you to be uh, sold short here. You also have, like, all this amazing other work that you do, like, writing team profiles all throughout the season. You, you're always tweeting out all of these interesting stats and, and graphs. Like, you're one of the top analysts, I'd say, that, uh, like, out there. Uh, it's, it's really exciting to always have you on the show.
2: I appreciate that. It's been been a wild ride i remember the, the first time i came on the show i definitely did not have the the current poll i do and i wish i got to write more about fantasy but it just coincides at the same time with uh doing season previews and those obviously don't have a fantasy slant but i it does help to like know like which players are good and which players are poised for a breakout and a lot of my thoughts are in there and in future years i'll definitely want to do a little more fantasy focus but yeah the sheet I think it's a good tool and then throughout the year I also update a, a I guess a budget version of it so every week there's a new update for projections for the rest of the season that I think should be helpful when you're scouring the waiver wire or thinking about trades
1: oh sweet yeah that's amazing I think like another, like a feature request I would have would be like all the stuff we've been talking about, about your talks with the beat writers to figure out who's going to be on the top power play, like what the lines are going to be. It would be cool to like see that. You know, there's a lot of websites that people go to to see the lines. We made this like game day line tweets line, right? Just like retweet the tweets from beat writers as they tweet mm-hmm. out like game day lines. But yeah, obviously you've got all this information in there, but I guess you don't need it. You got the projections that, you know, just give you the final answer that you need of when to draft these players after you've talked to all the beat writers. So mm-hmm. anyway, thanks so much again for coming on i know you got football going on today this uh, i don't know how you could like pay attention to any other sport like hockey's clearly like the one that needs to take all your attention at least that's my life but uh enjoy
2: uh thank you and thanks for having me again it's always a blast
1: All right, thanks so much again to Dom Lecision for coming on our show to talk about that model. Like It's always such a pleasure to talk to Dom every single season. I'm already so excited for our next one. I wonder if one day he'll even come mid-season, since he was talking about how he updates his model all year long so that you can keep downloading and getting updated projections. So maybe it'd be worth it to i don't know get his take on the best free agent so we'll have to figure that out because yeah i just really enjoyed chatting with dom but okay i'm back here now with brian calm welcome back brian and brian's actually got some more players on his list that he wanted to bring up as well where the patrons uh drafted the player either higher or lower than dom would have projected him to be drafted so brian who's next on your list
0: Yeah, I think it's just a really good exercise to compare projections with another trusted source. And I really trust these mock ADPs we've been getting from uh, mock drafts that our patrons have been doing pre-Cup full season, which, by the way, is kicked off now. That's really exciting. But another one uh, where I saw a big disagreement between our patrons and Dom was Tyler Bertuzzi who had seven points in nine games before his season was prematurely ended by injury. He had four power play points in that time, three power play goals, which helped him pick up five goals on 25 shots, which gave him such beautiful totals before Tyler Bertuzzi was knocked out for the season. And the last time we saw Bertuzzi in action for a full season, he was posting his second straight year at a mid-50-point pace, playing on the top line with Dylan Larkin and Anthony Mantha. And that's still about where Dom sees him, having projected him for 53 points. Uh, You know, Detroit has some moving pieces in their top six now, which they didn't have before, like Robbie Fabry and Philip Zadina. So I wonder if this, you know, sort of like what we were talking about with Ryan Strom, where we don't know exactly what Bertuzzi's deployment is going to be like, if he's going to be playing on the top line, on the second line, whether he's safe for a power play spot, or whether uh, even Detroit might split their power play units, which takes value away from really anyone on their power play. Uh, you know, Dom is basically saying that Tyler Bertuzzi is, is going to pick up where he left off now that he's healthy rather than take a step forward, which is uh, like a bit of a shot to take considering that Bertuzzi's now in his age 26 season and we've been waiting for him to take a step forward, but maybe it's time we took the sign that Bertuzzi is just about where he is. And on Detroit also, you know, I, I it's tough to imagine anybody really having a huge breakout season, although the opportunity will be there. There's not a lot of competition Inside the depth chart, but at the same time, that makes it challenging when there's not necessarily a lot of opportunities to create with bona fide players, especially if Tyler Bertuzzi doesn't get to be centered by, say, Dylan Larkin. So... I like the swing that the patrons are taking with him by taking him sooner than where Dom's sheet would have him because Tyler Bertuzzi does have this upside that's still unknown where he could break through and become more than this 50-55 point player. But conservatively, I think it's reasonable to still expect him to fall in that area.
1: Yeah, well, so when I talked to Dom again, the people just heard that we talked about Jake Verona, who's new to Detroit, and he's like super high on Verona. So I think the best situation for Bertuzzi is if he could be on a line with Larkin and Verona. And I think Dom said that Verona was what, like a, what do you say, like a, like a points per minute machine or something. He just basically loves the guy. And so it would be really cool. And yeah, if he could be on the top power play, there's definitely upside for Bertuzzi. He's also a player that's always had like a really high shooting percentage. So obviously on one hand, it kind of sucks if you're in a league that counts shots, because he doesn't help you that much in shots but at least he'll potentially score a lot of goals on those shots like apparently there's a lot of like rebounds and things like that which are higher percentage shots that's why the the shooting percentage is higher so yeah Bertuzzi's a player that probably a lot of people have forgotten about so the good thing is that you don't even need to take something maybe these patrons who are taking him too high in the draft maybe it was all like the same kind of mindset where maybe it was only because this is adps right it only takes one person to take the player in each draft so maybe this person was like well, that's hard to say right but like how long could you have waited and still gotten Bertuzzi if you didn't take him obviously if you're in the cupful then it's a little bit harder to get like a sneaky pick like that but maybe for people listening to this playing in other leagues just don't forget about Tyler Bertuzzi a lot of people are just ranking based on last year's stats and he won't even be on the list at dogs. he only played like I said like nine games except he has you know a floor of probably around 50 points and upside for potentially more so yeah he's definitely an interesting guy to point out uh Brian who do you got next
0: well, I'm going to flip to the other side, and I think I'll just go through a bunch of guys quickly, and you can share some quick thoughts. And these are plays that Dom was higher on than our patron group, and it wouldn't be an episode of Keeping Carlson... I mean, there are plenty of episodes where I don't mention Shane Goss Despair, but of course, this is classic. I, Dom still has a little faith in Goss Despair, ranking him higher than the patrons, seeing him in the mid-30 points range. I mean, I don't blame anyone for being done with Goss Despair. He's 28 years old, now three seasons removed from his massive 64 points in 78 games season. Uh, and in that season, Goss Despair saw a combination of time on ice and power play time on ice that he's never once Seen again since then. Some seasons, his power play has been okay. and Others, his time on ice has been okay. Uh, never have both been okay again at the same time. And of course, Arizona isn't going to be a great place to pick up points. And Jacob Shikrin is up on the top power play unit. There's a chance maybe Arizona looks to run three forwards 2D and uses cost to spare. Anyway, 35 points. I'm just saying, in a deeper league, that's not nothing from a defenseman. Especially if he can put up a couple shots a game. So uh, there's my... Maybe the only, maybe that'll be the last Shane Gossespierre mention on keeping Carlson. I'm getting tired of talking about him. Uh, I don't even know why I did, to be honest.
1: Well, I mean, if it's going to be the last mention of him, then that'll mean you're wrong with saying he has value because that'll mean that he had nothing worth talking about. I mean, yeah, there's no one in Arizona, right? We I talked to Dom about like with Chikrin and like how is he going to get points and Dom was basically saying, well, these least Chikrin's going to probably take like 400 shots next year because no one else is going to be there to take shots. But yeah, I don't know. I'm pretty over Gosses hair, but I guess who knows if, if you want to take a swing in a super deep league, maybe it's not the worst option, but it's like close to it. So let's go. Who, who
0: okay. do you got next? Yeah, maybe uh, I don't know if this, if this would be a better or worse swing, but I just noticed that Dom's model, especially for a rookie, felt pretty good about Quinton Byfield. Like, not great, uh, but also for Cole Caulfield. So a couple uh, rookies who are slated to have good seasons by all accounts, Byfield uh, is in the mid-40s and Caulfield. Well, I mean, you've had your own thoughts on Caulfield, Elon, saying that if Montreal throws together a scoring line, like a real, legit scoring line, and plays them like a scoring line, which they haven't done this for several years, but this is the year that could happen, Uh, then maybe we've got something here with Cole Caulfield, and maybe he can reach something like the 60-point plateau. Dom uh, is a lot more confident. On Caulfield than our patrons. And same with Byfield, because I imagine, I mean, if you listen to the show, you might have a similar philosophy on rookies to you and I, Elon, which is that, and I'm actually more conservative on rookies even than you are, which is I I don't want to, I don't want to bet big on a rookie. It's not something I'm, I'm really interested in doing. There's just so much that can go wrong. And usually when things go right, you either like are so sure it's going to happen from the start or, um, it's still not even that right. Like, it's still okay. So rookie ceilings always seem pretty low, and Byfield still is, but it's not nothing. Like, he's he's being projected at a pace that would make him relevant at times through the year. But Caulfield especially would be a, a big explosion. Elon, would you see Cole Caulfield as having 60-point potential? Are you drafting him that way in your drafts? Yeah, like, 60 points isn't, like,
1: so high, right? Like, what, what, you know, we're not talking 65, we're not talking 70. Like, I could see myself taking a swing on Caulfield, depending on who's available. Like, who are some other 60-point guys? Like, we're talking about, like, I see you have JVR slated to come up next. Like, maybe if I'm deciding between Caulfield and JVR, it might be fun to just take the swing on Caulfield, who maybe has the better chance of getting better deployment. But yeah, obviously, like, not all rookies are the same, right? Like, Quinton Byfield has never played before, and he's a bit younger. And Caulfield is someone who's already shown us that he's gotten top-line deployment. Then there's like some guys like Trevor Zgrass who haven't played before, but he's like a little bit older and he was good in the AHL. So, like, Byfield is someone I'd be a little bit more nervous about for his rookie season. Like, we saw, like, these young players, like Lafreniere last year, obviously didn't do what people were hoping he would do. And kind of the same with Jack Hughes the year before. So, yeah, it's a little bit buyer beware with the super young rookies, but I think I'd have uh, fun taking a swing on Byfield. Like, nothing crazy, but yeah, once like 55, 60 point guys are going, I think that there's no reason why you can't take a shot on Caulfield there. But yeah, it depends who else is available, of course.
0: Yeah, for sure. Would you take Cole Caulfield or James Van Riemsdyk first?
1: Yeah, so that's the thing. So I know that like, we've got James JVR here, who Dom has projected for fifty-seven points, uh, higher than where the Patrons were taking him, which is kind of surprising because like he had that great run last year, where he was like an amb- Like by the end of the season, he was doing nothing, but at the start of the year, he was like one of the top fantasy players. So I guess people are just really, at least the Patrons in the mock drafts, are using a lot of recency bias and remembering him not being too useful. Uh, So I guess JVR does, again, have that upside (laughs) to get hot again. Why not? He just did it last year. I do like these kinds of players who, who are hot, and then if I get them late, then I could always drop them later. Uh, but yeah I don't know I think I think Caulfield to be honest I feel like uh, Philly's got a lot of young guys coming up and maybe JVR's role can slightly decrease like you know we've got Faraby who I think could get a higher role Travis Konechny still hasn't gotten like the consistent like top power play time that I would have expected at this point in his career so I think JVR's like solid but I don't know if he's ever going to be like a 60 65 point guy and I think Caulfield does have that upside so I think Caulfield's a more fun swing
0: Yeah, definitely a more fun swing. It depends on what you're looking for. JVR probably, I think, has the safer floor, but it definitely uh, would be okay. I think it's defensible to draft either Van Riemsdyk or Caulfield first. And like you mentioned, Elon, it seems like James Van Riemsdyk is being uh, judged harshly by his last 30 games of the season, in which he had 14 points in 30 games, but that followed a run where Van Riemsdyk had 29 points in 26 games that all came out to another like 55, 60 point pace, which is uh, the seventh time that James Van Reemsdyke has ended up between 55 and 65 point pace uh, in the last eight seasons. So James Van Riemsdyk does this a lot and there's still space on the depth chart for him to contribute. Like you said, it's getting a little crowded in Philly, and he's going to have to make the most of his power play time to really get back into that 55-65 point range for James Van Riemsdyk. Huge success on the power play last year. 10 power play goals in 56 games, thanks to a 30% shooting percentage with the man advantage. So he's going to need that to keep up on the power play, given his so-so five-on-five role. But I still think it's reasonable for us to have faith in Van Riemsdyk. I I think he had such a weird season where... You know, that first run was over those first 26 games where he had 29 points was so unsustainable. We're like, this is, this is not who he is. And then he fell apart into nothing. But what never happened was just that middle ground where he's like, yeah, he's a 60 point guy, give or take a couple points. So, uh, for that reason, that's why I am still into James Van i and not writing him off and thinking that that first half was total luck because it wasn't. And that second half was also not total bad luck either you know like we can't expect the world of him but there was some bad luck in there and that's why i'm still into james van reams just like Tom's model is
1: yeah well and also to be fair the second half of that season was like a an s show i I know you want to keep this a family-friendly podcast but like philly was getting run into the ground like you know there are different players with covid i know that games postponed so they end up having to play so many games it's it's the same with carter hart right he just like couldn't handle the workload he was given and he did badly and the whole team was doing badly and jvr is obviously included so yeah you don't want to read too much into what happened in the last 20 games of the covid season right because there's a lot of extenuating circumstances for sure all right brian let's do uh one more then let's let people get out of here
0: okay yeah let's let people because they can't just get out of here if they want to anyway no because everyone who listens is like a, a fan of the show <laughs> and a respectful fan that wants to hear everything we have to
1: say they don't want like imagine then they tweeted us like oh Elon, uh, what do you think about uh tomas hurdle you think he'll be good next year and i'm like dude did you listen to the podcast we talked about him right at the end of the show so rude of you to ask without listening so yeah i think people are nice but yeah I mean, we're gonna do one more player might be tomas hurdle and then you can move on to your next podcast
0: it's tomas hurdle how did you No, Elon. Yeah, Tamash Hurdle is another player that the patrons are ranking below Dom. Dom is higher on Tamash Hurdle than our patrons are. And again, I think this is a a recency thing. Recency bias is real and none of us are immune from it. Hurdle's season last year was just so up and down uh, even though he still had like a 70 point pace last season he didn't really get the respect for it because he was on and off uh, in terms of health and on and off in terms of production and so it's it was really hard to get a feel for what Thomas Hertel could offer but last season was the second time that he's hit that 70 point pace mark in the last three years he got there. um a couple seasons ago with a 20% shooting percentage where that season where he had 35 goals in 18, 19. And then the season after in 1920, his shooting percentage fell, but it popped back up for Hurdle in 2021 to 17%. So those two 70 point seasons from Hurdle still represent his two highest shooting percentages that he's ever seen. I still don't know if this is a new Tomas hurdle we're seeing or these are two blips from a guy who's normally been in the 10 to 12% shooting range. So that'll be something for us to keep an eye out for. But Regardless, I still think he's a pretty safe 65-point guy with upside for more if that shooting percentage does break. I mean, I worry about the team around him in San Jose somewhat, but Hurdle was really great last year when he was healthy, so I'm hoping he's back to 100% after this offseason and can still do well, and that's why I am closer to Dom's model that has him just peaking over 70 points than to where he's going in our full mock drafts.
1: Yeah, I think like 65 to 70 seems reasonable. What do you think, Brian, about the fact that he's a pending UFA and Mm -hmm. San Jose might be really terrible, which means they might trade him as a rental at the deadline? Is that the kind of thing that makes you higher or lower on a player? Or do you kind of like not even consider it?
0: I'm not going to consider it. I never consider... Like, I try not to make that speculation a big part, especially if it's so many months away. Like, you have time to draft and then trade Tomas Hurdle if he's doing well. But yeah, I mean from the last trade from from all the trade deadlines that we've ever looked at when doing this show i can't think maybe you can this would be a fun thing to to maybe go back over and see how many i feel like i could count on one hand the number of players whose fantasy value improved from being traded from a bad team at the deadline to a good team
1: here's one sam bennett that worked out pretty well
0: yeah yeah (laughs) there you go so name four more Right, yeah. And also, Sam
1: Bandit had a lot of room to grow. So that's a little <laughs> different. But yeah, when it's already like a star player, yeah, you'd think maybe Hurdle would go from top line center to maybe second line center on a different team. Like, I've heard the Habs, you know, they obviously need a center right now. So I don't think he'd be like ahead of Suzuki. So who knows if his situation would be as good. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, anyways, I just wanted to throw it out there. An uh, interesting thing about Hurdle right now, I just want to see him have a full, healthy season. It's been a while since we've seen him play all the games. So I hope that he's doing well. But okay, Brian, this was so much fun. Uh, thanks so much again to Dom Lucision for coming on. That was really amazing. Also, thanks so much again to kevin a bear who helped brian and i put together the spreadsheet by giving us all the mock draft adps kevin is an mvp of our patron discord and like mvp of the show at this point kevin's helping us so much thanks again kevin uh thanks obviously to everyone for listening to the show we hope you're liking our content uh we've still got a lot more coming for the preseason we're gonna do our best to get you ready for your drafts we still have another yearly tradition which is to go over the yahoo player rankings and see who we think is ranked too high or too low on yahoo because a lot of people who are drafting just go by the default yahoo rankings. so uh, that's a show that we have coming up and quite a few more because we're still actually like not even that close to the season we still have like three two three weeks to go i guess we're also gonna be having our tier one auction draft episode in a couple of weeks which i probably need to start preparing for so yeah a lot of fun coming up on the keeping carlson feed so make sure you're subscribed over at apple podcast spotify all the places but with that brian let's let's get out of here so like i said let's cue the outro music why don't you go ahead and read us the credits
0: Alright, this episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast was presented by Dauber Hockey and powered by our patrons, including our super supporters, Christopher, Josh, Tom, Derek, Rob, and Patty. Thank you so much. Logo art by Com. Outro music by Pat Roach. This episode was researched with help from Dauber Hockey, Frozen Tools, Natural Stat Trek, Evolving Hockey, Cap Friendly, Hockey Reference, Hockey Viz, Hockey Database, NBC Sports Edge, and our friend Dom at The Athletic.
1: Yeah, definitely. By the way, Brian, I've noticed here, like, I noticed that Ricard, one of our longtime patrons, upped his pledge to $10, but he's not marked as a super supporter. So we might actually have more super supporters that we're not aware of. So you actually have to go in on Patreon and change your tier to the super supporter tier, not only change the amount. So yeah, if you want to get mentioned at the end of the show, because we definitely really appreciate Ricard and any other of our like actual super supporters. So yeah, if you uh, are noticing that you're not getting that recognition, then definitely go and make that change. But yeah, thanks again, everyone, for listening. And we'll be back at you. Actually, we have uh, some fun... Planned. Uh, We're going to be doing a patron cast this week with the patrons, and Brian and I are thinking of, or I'm thinking of, and I'm going to pitch it to Brian, like, releasing that as a show to everyone, so you get a sense, a little behind-the-scenes peek. Maybe we'll only give you part of it. We'll give you a bit bit of a peek of the fun we have with the patrons. So that's something coming up, and then, like I said, all the other stuff. So stick with us, and until then, Brian, I'm looking forward to talking to you and just tell people what they can do.
0: (laughs) They can do everything they can to make sure that fantasy hockey is for everyone.